Namaste. Coming straight to the subject. First of all, is there a relation between happiness and health? Well, there is and there is enough evidence to uh, to show us that when we are in a state of depression, then basically all the systems, all the functions, including the ability the immune system which is so crucial and critical to uh, you know maintenance of health in various at various levels is depressed. On the other hand, when there is a state of joy, inner peace, a state of inner felicity, if I may say so, everything works smoothly and functioning uh, functions, uh, you know, beautifully, harmoniously. It is as if you know it is a key uh, to monitor ourselves. The one step way to understand whether we are um, uh, the one step way to understand, look at you know whether we are actually healthy or not is when people come into my office. I just see whether they are smiling or not. If they are smiling, there is hope, to put it this way. And the second aspect is will and faith. If will and faith are diminished in a human being, we can almost say that he is uh, taking a downhill course. And if will and faith are alive and awake, as they say that that's what is important, uh, crucial to recovery. So then, you know, there is hope. So basically, one of the things that a physician does is to rekindle will and faith and hope in a human being, which then starts automatically uh, triggering the processes that heal. Essentially, the body heals itself, but the body heals when it is convinced that it can be healed. So that's the important part. So healing takes place in a you know matrix wherein the doctor the patient and the milieu, the atmosphere, everything is important. So it's so important that not only my own happiness and health, but of everybody around. So that's why the great Upanishadic saying, Sarve Bhavantu Sukhina, Sarve Santu Niramaya. So it's not enough that I am happy, but all be happy, may all be happy with the true happiness. So this is the one aspect that if a society, if people around me, they are in a state of depression, unhappy, then those vibrations, those things are automatically affecting me. And therefore, it's so important that the milieu in which I live and breathe and the atmosphere that surrounds me uh, should be such that we breathe happiness. So then comes the next step that how really to breathe happiness? Well, um, very simply, we can say that um, uh, if we go by the Upanishadic thought that delight is the origin of creation. Um, if the origin of creation is delight, uh, then at the end point we see just is very opposite. The more we uh, narrow down, narrow down, narrow down creation into smallness of form, smallness of consciousness, delight begins to as if escape on all sides and what is left is a little bit of pleasure and pain. So there is a, uh, you know, the Ashwat tree where the whole creation moves from above below. Towards the uh, end, we find nothing else but a little point of joy which sustains creation. But much of it is lost. And the whole journey of evolution of life is to recover this joy. So this joy is implicit in creation. We see it in mountains, we see it in rivers, we see it all over. That's why when we go there, we reconnect with a vaster joy. You know, one of the ways to find joy is simply to enter into a vast image because joy is inbuilt within creation. In fact, it's one thing that sustains. In the Rig Veda, there is the story that Soma goes and starts, the, the recovery process starts. He brings back the bride of Brahman back to the Brahman himself. But shortage of time, we will not go into that story. But basically, delight runs in the fabric of creation. All around, look at the stars. You will see that delight. Look at the way the waves uh, see 
the ocean is rolling itself look at even creation through a vast passage of time and one is compelled to see the play of delight look at even the forest the then life comes the trees um, the animals all of them you know when we see their play their gambol then there is a, a state of joy which is again we we find in uh, these creatures early living creatures but with with man something happens and we seem to have lost that spontaneous delight and that's because uh the story if you read of uh, you know bible uh, adam and eve that uh, we tasted the fruit of knowledge <laughs> so we tasted the apple and you know um and the apple kept the doctor away the healer away so basically what it means is that in creation there is unconscious delight which is there i mean delight is there but the creature is not conscious of it but now we have to recover it consciously through conscious knowledge and that's where yoga steps in that we have to recover that lost delight and there have been so many ways that human beings have tried to contact delight it's um, uh, you know more the the most uh, narrowest ways by trying to find joy in something external but the problem with that is uh, if we try one little happiness we get two sorrows free and that sorrows free is actually grace because it reminds us of the limitation of what we are experiencing so uh, we the search continues and then we try to seek it in family friends and everybody who is around but again the same thing happens because uh, you know we get momentarily joy but again it's followed by sorrow because uh, when desire clutches at an object it clutches the object for the sake of the object and not for the sake of what it really represents the divine element within it so the objects the the things which you know form and name they tend to of course pass away with time it's a very simple thing we all experience in life that if we love somebody for the sake of love for because one wants to love and one connects with the core of love then the love remains but if it is one loves for the sake of the form something external then this love tends to dwindle away now delight love harmony they are very close allies in creation so we have to recover this delight and how do we recover it we recover it by the same process that we lost it so ordinarily all creation is rushing from within outward from above downwards that's why as the upanishad puts that through the gates of the senses we rush outside now we have to turn it inward and discover the very source so basically with anything in life if we go back to its source this source is only one there are no two sources we may call it by 100 names but there is only one source and that's where yoga steps in yoga literally is union with the divine we may use the word divine we may call the word source origin uh, doesn't matter what what term we use that truth tao it it's all the same but basically it's to reconnect with the source now what happens when we reconnect with the source then we then we experience the purest form of delight and for that one of the simple things is that because we are constantly concentrated upon the ego self on a very narrow personality and narrow fringe of experiences therefore we live in a state of perpetual misery because the narrower we become the less we'll experience joy in life this is uh, very interesting that you know we can make a little observation ourselves all of us can make it and i'm sure we are aware one of the things that happens in depression is that uh, you know nobody understands me i am in this state i am in that state i have negative thoughts i have negative the common element in all this is i and when you know a person uh, see simple things which can help us step out of this ego zone really helps it's amazing it could be a dog it could be a cow it could be simply window shopping 
just stepping out of this zone simply loving the family loving the child it tends to bring us out of this ego zone uh, at least this narrow extremely narrow zone of the ego so the moment we step out of the boundaries of the ego and the best thing which helps us to step out of the boundaries of the ego is love there is no force more powerful than love which helps us to step out of this littleness and if we can love anything anyone could it be it could be trees it could be plants it could be Uh, anything which is uh, you know other than me even though we are loving it for the sake of me yet there is an extension so to start with that's something very easily accessible to anyone it's a common experience i have known people uh, who simply because you know they were going through a state of depression simply because they suddenly developed a lot of love for the child and love for even the family they started emerging out of their state of course family and children can be another source of depression but that's a different story altogether because this love is yet you know governed by the ego principle but then we can love something still large love of humanity there are people i mean even before we go into humanity whether we believe in nationality or not but a patriot who gives his life on the you know trying to defend this country not aggressing another country but trying to defend this country living for a larger ideal nothing else living for a larger ideal to you know express something which is harmonious beautiful in life this itself liberates us from the little ego self and then eventually we can go to something still greater still wider the highest formula and that is what is given in the isha upanishad to live for the divine in all and this comes through a through this constant practice of meditating upon this idea that the divine is in all the divine Um, all is in the divine and the divine is all and when we can live with that state of vastness then spontaneously happiness comes joy comes love comes and with joy love harmony and peace health returns so we have this great formula given in the isha upanishad isha vasya midam sarvam yad kicha jagatyam jagat tena taktena bhunjita magrida kasya siddhanam so this whole world this creation forms names they are all meant for the habitation of the lord when we understand it even in the slightest of motion this not leave earth but in every motion every activity every movement of creation is meant for the inhabitation it's like a dance going on where the lord is at the center and uh, nature is dancing around him uh, for the joy of the lord but problem is when we place ourselves at the center then there is a problem because it's not the place we are meant to occupy unless we say that the self uh, the eye of me and the eye of the divine ultimately are one but that's um, that's a whole process to arrive at that um, state not not a conceptual state but an experiential state so once we understand that this world is not meant to satisfy my ego it's not meant to fulfill my pleasures my desires but there is something like a larger plan something much greater and if i can connect with that thread which is going on in this creation then life is beautiful so what is that greater thread greater link and that greater link we cannot find if you look at life only on the surface and within a small frame that greater link which we can see constantly going on in this world is change and change with a direction and a purpose and that change if you look at the history of earth it is nothing else but evolution progress towards a greater and greater manifestation so we have uh, material world then living world then mentalized world and this change is not going to stop here and ashwabindu says that man is a transitional being this change will take him further beyond the boundaries of the mind towards a spiritual and a supramental being so that is the most perfect solution until then we will be prone or succumb to certain things disease 
uh, even death but eventually that is the radical solution the uh, the last remedy that man has to undertake in any case the evolution will take him carry him beyond this frontier so when we look at life like that then we understand that pain illness uh, even death they are a reminder that look the life we lead is still imperfect and instead of abandoning this field in search of a pursuit of perfection above or within we need to strive following the current of nature the thread through which everything is moving toward the evolutionary manifestation of the divine within us in every aspect every act in our very body in in the very body cells as the mother says the divine consciousness the divine energy should infiltrate us and if we can do that then life would grow beautiful health and harmony will become natural and spontaneous so this is the essential plan so to connect with the greater plan of life the smaller we become the lesser the frame in which we live Uh, well we will be unhappy and miserable whatever we may do and the more unhappy and miserable we are uh, life will um, the seeds of illness will take one form or the other uh, it may be physical illness it it could be psychological illness social illness uh, so the solution that um, has always been proposed is is to discover that vastness that the truth which is supreme harmony as the vedic rishis put it the truth which is delight raso vaisaha um within and in the world around uh, how does it help people around well it naturally helps because when an individual becomes a vessel of this joy this delight it spontaneously radiates and transmits all around i mean we believe unfortunately that we are very closed boxes closed containers what's happening in my body has no effect uh, upon others is my body but well each of us is having an effect upon the uh world around so let me put it a bit paradoxically it's not only stars that influence our lives uh, but we also influence the stars so we we influence the cosmos because we carry the cosmos within us so, you know within the pind there is the brahman that is the whole uh, truth that is revealed to us by the upanishads so let's um, live in this vastness let's live in this sense of the all and this sense of the all and vastness comes not by any mental intellectual conception that could be a starting point but by simply living and meditating upon the divine within us the divine who is within this creation and um, you know the divine who is the very substance of everything very beautifully one of the upanishads puts it the self of our self the life of our life the mind of our mind so essentially in this evolutionary journey we have reached to this point where we have become mental beings now this mental software needs to be upgraded to the spiritual software we are f- facing this evolutionary crisis so we see an emergence of a large number of diseases we have lost the spontaneous harmony of the early human human race where there was a kind of um, very nice uh, a kind of working harmony with nature but we have lost it because mind by its nature tends to specialize and to specialize it needs to narrow down its concentration on to whatever it is studying so in the process we have lost that spontaneous harmony now we have to regain it consciously and the way to regain is to go beyond the mind into higher realms of consciousness and allow this higher consciousness to influence and change our mind and life and body it's first key that we have to access this higher consciousness there are two keys of course one is in the center of the heart and the other is uh, you know the mind and above the mind head and above the mind by concentrating on these by um, 
concentrating on these on the divine presence within we uh, come out of this little narrow frame this vessel in which we are enclosed and we discover a very beautiful discovery these are things which have to be discovered of course um, that there is a heart behind our heart is an emotional being which is not these surface emotions surface emotions are all the time going through pleasure and pain happiness and sorrow uh, love and hate but there is a heart within our heart which which can love truly it's the deeper heart there is a life within our life and surface life is going going through all the contacts and touches of nature but there is a deeper string of life the other lifeline that runs behind as a rejuvenating stream and we need to connect with it and there are several processes for that there is a mind behind our mind the surface mind is all the time busy with data and you know surface information but this mind has a much more direct access to knowledge and of course there is uh, ultimately we discover that there is a body behind the body like the original blueprint of the body and actually it is this body this subtle physical body in us which corrects the imbalances of the physical body because there is in it the original plan so the physical body the gross body tends to automatically respond to this original blueprint which is already there all that is needed is to activate these things to activate these things there have been so many processes uh, which um, indian mystics and mystics all over but primarily this knowledge has been preserved in india have found ways and means to discover this inner life and behind this inner life and inmost life the life of the soul within us the soul is not just a conception not just an you know uh, atom or a you know piece of information but it's a real living entity it it is us in the truest sense of the word and if we allow this to step forward life can become uh, not only beautiful and harmonious but full of love and sweetness and a charm that endures all the rub and change of time and the other is through the head if we can concentrate and eventually if this lid also opens then we will become spontaneously the reverse which the vedic rishi spoke of the reverse of peace and light and joy all of them wideness they are aspects of the higher consciousness and they begin to descend in a human being and as they descend they lend to the mind a wideness a knowledge which goes beyond the scope of our limited mental intelligence to the heart they free it from the little narrow cabins in which it is closed it suffers struggles um cries and weeps and is momentarily happy is swinging between pleasure and pain it liberates the life this higher consciousness from its small little efforts in which its all its energies are locked and um, gives to the will a greater direction and purpose uh, and to the body itself it gives it the rejuvenating capacity and capacity to spontaneously heal itself so this is the broad plan in a very very quick compressed way i am trying to um, give the whole thing if there are any questions most welcome yes we will take one question uh, which is directed to uh, dr alok pande Mr Umesh Lalit asks can you please say something about all life is yoga by Sri Aurobindo okay uh, yes uh, it's a question that includes the whole universe so essentially uh, the specialized yogic practices at some point of time by the very fact of their specialization began to cut themselves off from the mainstream of life this was not in the original days when 
yoga is born you know vedic yoga where life was integrated with yoga but over a period of time the upanishads with the meditative stress on meditative practices and then eventually the whole stress came on uh, you know meditation and these practices where wherein we broke into other dimensions uh, you know the spiritual dimension and so on and so forth but how to integrate that dimension with life so that was the schism which we find in uh, you know certain kind of thought so people tried to bridge this schism in different ways one was that lead a sattvic life a more human life but otherwise the real thing is yoga so this life was uh, regarded as a preparation for the life beyond so moksha became the highest ideal and a moksha which was like a post mortem moksha so meaning thereby while in this life do some good karma serve humanity take care of you know Uh, be a good human being and then do some practices like say a couple of hours of meditation and eventually uh, this will deepen and take you into that uh, break free from the human mold and eventually you enter that state of spiritual perfection so this tendency uh, created an otherworldliness in human thought and this is where and it didn't make sense of life of creation of all that we are of all that we have Uh, gone through in our journey and all that we yet may become so shirobindo fills this hiatus by saying that every aspect of life from uh, waking up to sleep and all that happens in between from life to death and all that happens rebirth and all that happens in between our speaking our silence our food sleep everything can and must become yoga yoga thereby union with the divine yoga in shirobindo's uh, uh, well we can have specialized practices but um as we all know it's very difficult for um, an average humanity to uh, set aside two hours for specialized practices people can do it it's nice but even then it doesn't solve the real riddle because okay i do my specialized practices i sit in meditation do some deep breathing exercise and it helps me no doubt about it but what about the rest of the day and the you know my dealings my life wherein there is marriage there is children there is uh, Uh, meeting people there are uh, seminars conferences um, there is eating there is also you know sitting together so um, the first time we find hints of this integration uh, of course after the vedas are lost um, or are reduced to just meditative practices we see it in tantras and we see it in the gita and shivindra takes it still further that every aspect of life must be uh, suffused through and through with yoga this is the first meaning of um all life is yoga second is that if you look at life we see this evolutionary emergence and shirobindo says that this is because there is a secret yoga going on in nature what it means is that there is the divine presence hidden in nature and the divine presence is bringing out the various possibilities that are involved in nature like from a seed the tree develops so there are steps and stages um you can freeze at any step um a tree and say well this is the ultimate possibility but then if we wait and allow time to you know take uh, carry on the evolutionary process the tree will develop into its full fledged possibility so because there is a secret yoga going on in nature meaning thereby nature is trying to bring out utmost divine possibilities which are hidden inside as a divine essence or a divine seed through names and forms it is trying to bring it out and in this process we see that there is a material universe living universe mentalized thinking man they are part of that secret yoga but it is unconscious or subconscious the creature is not aware that this is how this is happening he just knows that i mean we know that evolution happens there are crises and somehow or the other we find ways and means to adapt ourselves and eventually there is evolution but actually this is subconscious yoga wherein latent submerged possibilities are emerging 
So Shubindu says that this uh, subconscious yoga, which is going on in nature, which anyways will go on, regardless of man, till ultimately the divine consummation through material creation, you know, the union of matter with spirit, which is what is symbolized in Shivalinga, that, you know, there is the union of divine soul with the material principle. So this is what is the ultimate possibility that has been foreseen by the sages, that if body itself can unite with the divine, can become no more an unconscious or half-conscious clod, but it can become itself divine. So this is the possibility that uh, Shubhinda brings out. But for that, the subconscious yoga must become a conscious yoga. Meaning thereby up till now the emergence, evolutionary emergence has been subconscious and each emergence means a modification of matter. So um, mechanical, almost dead matter or jada as it is called becomes living matter. Why? Because the power of life emerges and thereby matter comes alive. Then living matter becomes thinking matter. So in the brain we have all these things which you know, um, the gyri and the sulci and the neurons and the transmitters, all these processes are created so that thought can be transmitted through this machine called the brain. Now this has to be carried further so that there could be the divinization of matter meaning thereby the brain centers the heart, all these organs have to undergo a change and modify it so that they can become vehicles and channels and instruments of the divine consciousness. And for that, he gave, and naturally, it has to be connected with every sphere of life. Every sphere of life has to be divinized, not mentalized or right now, as it is, you know, purely driven by vital desires and vital impulses with a little bit of sattvic balance in life. So it has to be divinized. So, um, you know, that is the process going on. And of course, there are step stages and everything that he has already revealed. That's a vast subject. But in this sense, all life is yoga. Right now, a subconscious yoga because of which evolution happens. Man is that point of transition where the subconscious yoga can become conscious yoga. And by conscious yoga, we will cross that passage. Man is a transitional being. He is to be surpassed by another being like man himself has surpassed the um, animals, the chimp. So man will be surpassed into a greater becoming or a greater being, if you want to put it, who will be much more closer to the divine in both uh, his essence as well as his consciousness and the very body uh, through a progressive modification. So we have to become conscious bridges between what creation has been up till now and what it yet can become. So in that sense, it becomes a conscious yoga. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. I hope it uh, answers Mr. Rohit's question and everybody else's question. Thank you for such a detailed and elaborative answer, sir. I know there can be one whole session to explain to your windows all life is yoga's philosophy, but uh, you managed to somehow explain it in simple terms. So thank you, sir. Yeah.